0: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong.
1: I'm Julio. And I'm Alex. Here on the show, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. For the first half of each episode, Contrarians Corner, we trash the fresh red tomatoes and praise the rotten green splotches, making our case any way we can. The aptly titled Real Talk
0: serves as the second half of each episode. This is where we discuss our true feelings on the movie we're covering. For more information on our podcast and to browse past episodes, you can head over to our website, wearethecontrarians.com.
1: From there, you can also access our patron and merchandise, because capitalism. If
0: you enjoy our attempts at comedic film discussions, we encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever
1: podcatcher you use. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, that's what social media is for. You can find us on most platforms as at Contrarian Prime. You can also see what we
0: look like if you go to youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. And you can contact us by email at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com.
1: I think that covers it.
0: Then it's time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Jerry Maguire.
1: There's so much like built in uh hype to the uh, not hype what's the we just have so many bits from this movie to begin with, like even before the contrarians was even founded Julio we kushlash you're a big fan of kushlash I am uh, a big fan
0: of kushlash
1: shoplifting the pootie, and et cetera et cetera it was it was hard to find new things to focus on this go around
0: alex it, it it's almost as if Cameron crow. Came up with the bits, and then he wrote the movie around them.
1: Yeah, I mean, when Cameron Crowe, when a young Cam Crowe set out with his uh, screenplay for Jerry Maguire, his thought was, can I make more than four (laughs) moments in film history that will (laughs) resonate and become just parodied and cliched to death?
0: He's like, what's the record? (laughs) I'll double it.
1: How do I make luke i am your father for a new generation (laughs) i got it renee zellweger but it is jerry Maguire. we are the contrarians welcome back or welcome for the first time potentially i mean this is a this is like a monolith of film and especially you could almost call this a rom-com i guess if you wanted to
0: there's some rom there's some attempts at com What, what
1: do you call it when it's also about sports the crowbar touch that, that's what, I mean, that's why this movie made almost $300 million, because it was uh, a movie that dudes could take their gals to, and there's still sports in it, so, you know. That wrong
0: sportscom.
1: They get to see Jay Moore. <laughs> For the last time. And to draw everyone in, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, that's the, that's the real... Heart of the matter here. Are,
0: are, are we doing that now? Like, are we getting it out of the way now? I had never paid attention to the lyrics of Secret Garden until now.
1: You yeah. are the worst, Julio. She let you in her mouth? What the hell? <laughs> it's Bruce, man. He tells a story with every with every song that he writes.
0: Is this a story about a dude getting oral sex?
1: She'll let you If the words you say are I mean, he does. She does suck his face off when they get to the door. There, that one scene. And I mean, it could be. Uh, I don't know. I've never met Bruce, but um, let you in her mouth. I think is is a kiss, Julio. So get your get your mind out of the gutter. But, uh, so uh, the
0: secret garden is just a garden.
1: I, I mean, she's got a secret garden
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> where everything you want and everything you need will always be a million miles away. But okay, uh, we're all
0: adults here. I think that we know what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bruce is the man. And if there's ever been anyone that can write a fucking love ballad, it is Sir Bruce Springsteen. But uh, second time (laughs) we've talked about Bruce writing an iconic song for a film. Of course, the first being The Wrestler. I believe he got an Oscar nom for The Wrestler, and he egregiously did not get uh, Best Original Song nomination here. That would go to You Must Love Me from Evita. Um, Oh, mm -hmm. And also, I mean, I personally would have had it in the contention. You know, you got Clarence coming in just real soft on the sacks. Um, <laughs> but even even if Secret Garden was nominated, and as much as I love Bruce Springsteen, I think that year it should have gone to one of the nominees, which was That Thing You Do uh, by Adam uh, Schlesinger. Schlesinger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. R.I.P. And again, that's a, another... Contrarian's uh, favorite, but uh, we're not here today to talk about the boss. We're here today to talk about uh, Jerry Maguire. We're here to talk about, is it Ethan Hunt? Is that his Mission Impossible name? Yes. All right. <laughs> here to talk the, about... The mission,
0: the mission in this one is to get René Zellweger some uh, medical insurance. Tremendous.
1: We're here to talk about Shockingly, which... A lot of people, this is something they hear and they don't believe because it does sound kind of not real. One of Tom Cruise's three Academy Award nominated performances. Of course, uh, old T. Cruise doesn't have an Oscar on his shelf at home, but uh, this is the middle one. This is one of his two Best Actor nominations prior to this in 1990, nominated for Born on Fourth of July and, of course, in 2000 for one of Julio's favorites, Magnolia. Uh, Now, this, in my wheelhouse of knowledge, this is a Julio favorite, or at least was coming into this. Will that remain at the end of this episode?
0: Things change a lot once you pay attention to the lyrics of Secret Garden. I'll tell you that much.
1: (laughs) If you pay the
0: price, she'll let you deep
1: inside. All right, Julio, a certified fresh 84% based on 90 logged reviews. The audience score, comprised of over a quarter of a million reviews, comes in at seventy nine percent. So it's still a proper standing popcorn bucket. Bonnie Hunt logged probably what seventy five thousand of those reviews.
0: <laughs> the Bunny Hunt Fan Club.
1: We are in for a ride here, and the main one of the things I texted you early into this is I forgot how many fucking people are in this movie. Uh, we will get to the awards and the splendor and the celebration that came in the wake of Jerry Maguire's release in the second half. Uh, but Julio, let's go ahead and get to it. 84% what were the critics saying about Jerry Maguire, be it contemporaneously or since?
0: Did it get re-released for his 25th anniversary, or is it just people reviewing the Blu-ray? Because there were some, some quotes alluding to that. This one, though, the first one from Wesley Lovell from Cinema uh, it's very much from when it was released because it says, a promising filmmaker gives audiences just what they crave with Jerry Maguire, a moderately in-depth look at the world of sports client management. And, uh, I mean, it's been a while since we've referred to Cameron Crowe as a promising filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I had to check after I, I, I read this quote, I was like, what in the, I mean, I assume that he was like six movies in by then, but but no, this is only his third movie. Mm-hmm. It took him so few uh years to sell out, right? He did say anything, he did singles, and then he just went full Hollywood.
1: And then, yeah, I, I didn't know if you were the 25th anniversary if you're talking about Elizabethtown because he basically just remade this movie a few years later, just way more <laughs> heavy on the father relationship.
0: <laughs> he killed some people, yeah. <laughs> Um next Mark Jackson from Epic Times he says young tom cruises stock characters were arrogant self-centered slick warrior magician dominant boyish men who eventually evolved their inner lover and king per the mythopoetic men's movement vernacular Jerry Maguire is dot 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 I just I just wanted to throw mythopoetic men's movement vernacular in there. Yeah,
1: I was kind of paralyzed with disgust while you were reading that. Not disgust per se, but definitely like a annoyance.
0: Mark, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I know that the, the quote cut off before you even got to make your point, but maybe the lesson here is that you should make your point <laughs> instead of throwing big words at, at Run Tomatoes. Um, next. A proper reviewer. Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune says, hey, wh- It may be referred to as the Tom Cruise sports agent movie, but really it's an exciting romance and cautionary yuppie tale. And the actor who steals the movie is the name you have never heard of. Renee Zellweger.
1: Well, hold on there, Gene. <laughs> yeah, come on, Gene. Where were you the year before this when a little ditty by the name of Empire Records came out?
0: All right, let's close with James Rardinelli from Real Views, who says, this is the kind of movie that reminds me why I started reviewing in the first place. Tell us why, James. Is it the money? The hot chicks? (laughs) The groupies? Is it the fame or the money, brother? Surely, there was a time when James Rardinelli just reviewed movies for for the love of the craft. It wasn't always
1: about the money. Was it? (laughs) I mean, according to this movie, it's not. It's about relationships. How's your marriage, James? got to look past show me the money
0: show me the quan jesus right. <laughs> show me the contrarians quan alex let's go to contrarians corner i couldn't escape one simple thought
1: i hated myself no 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 here's what it was i hated my place in the world all right So Tom Cruise was really 34, 35 when he made this. You know, I'm so used to just kind of like the past, I don't know, 20 years of Tom Cruise, maybe even less than that, but just kind of the distinguished gentleman that he is now. Man, he was a good looking cat. And the poster for this movie is one of the most like, I'm not going to say iconic, but memorable. That profile of him like smiling, you know what I mean? And the little signature writing for the... The uh, title on the poster and Tom Cruise is Jerry Maguire.
0: In very, very, very tiny letters. A Cameron Crowe movie.
1: (laughs) In very, very tiny letters. Also featuring Cuba Gooding Jr. and Renee (laughs) Zellweger. So if he was 34 or 35 when this movie was filmed, Jerry Maguire is a slick 35-year-old sports agent working for Sports Management International, SMI. After criticisms from an injured player's son triggers a life-altering epiphany, he writes a mission statement about perceived dishonesty in the sports management business and his desire to work with fewer clients to produce a better, more caring, personal relationship with them.
0: I thought it was a memo.
1: It's a mission statement. That's He say. He <laughs> says to the fish there towards the end, it was just a mission statement. Because I wrote that down, made, made note of it. In the opening, it's all kind of in a montage fashion catching us up to speed on what we're doing and um I just have crowbars my first note <laughs> oh and the tristar signature i I watched this on the DVD I own uh which was copyrighted nineteen ninety seven so it has to be amongst those first issue of DVD lines and the transfer is pristine because people used to take pride in their work Julio I saw you watch this on Amazon
0: I did i, I it- Jerry Maguire is one of those movies that I keep meaning to buy, uh, but every time I see it, it's, it's uh, a DVD or a Blu-ray with no bells and whistles, and I know that there's a really good edition that has goodies, and that's the one I want. I haven't come across it, though, and I, I just I never think about it.
1: Mine is not. The goodie is that it's the deluxe widescreen version. Uh, so it is a complete picture, but the menu looks like fucking MS Paint, and... <laughs> Their only subtitles are Spanish, and I don't even know if there's alternate language options. But like I said, it's copyrighted in 97, and based on a quick Google search here, the first DVD player was released by Toshiba in Japan in November of 1996, and the first released in the U.S. was by Sony in April of 97. So this had to be an early run DVD. I've not had it since 97. You all know what I do. You know who I am. I... (laughs) Probably found it at Half Price Books or at a flea market or something.
0: It's uh, shelved under F for football.
1: It's shelved uh, (laughs) under J for Jerry within the TriStar section of my DVD collection. Uh, I did not remember that uh, Jerry O'Connell, Cush, is from Odessa, Texas, which I I spent a month there one night. And uh, what's his name? Frank Cush Cushman. Who got the end credit, Julio? Did you take note of it? Oh, Bonnie Hunt. It's interesting in that aspect because the and credit is typically reserved for, you know, someone of notoriety. And God bless Bonnie Hunt. But to think at this point in time, you know, she was the notable one amongst Tom Cruise and uh, <laughs> Renee Zellweger is something else. She um, she was in Dave. So she, this isn't her first time on The Contrarians. Oh, uh, that too. Yeah. Or not even her second, I should say. And then most famously to me at this point in time, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, hey, it's Jumanji. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: she played the titular character, Jumanji. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So my next note here says The Wiz. As mentioned, the injured player. Uh, it. I had to wait till the end credits. I didn't want to look it up to spoil it for myself. It really was Toby Huss there. And then my was next it? note. Is, wow. Yeah, and then my next note just says, uh-oh, because I recognized immediately who his little kid was, and it was played by uh, Drake Bell, and um, <laughs> if you're not familiar with the exploits of Mr. Bell, you can just head on over to his Wikipedia page. The less said about him, the better, but I, I, it is important to bring up this scene because I, it took me back to when I was a little kid, so I was nine when this movie came out, and I remember being at my aunt and uncle's house and like they were always like the my uncle Danny was the guy who showed me like you got to see this movie uh you know my dad I've told this story before the only movie I ever remember my dad being like son you have to sit down and watch this was Terminator 2 and he was right to do that he was a good father mm-hmm. for doing that but my uncle Danny was always like oh have you seen this have you seen this but Danny his view of what was appropriate for certain ages did not match up with my parents, and so I remember him talking about how great Jerry Maguire was, and we got to watch it. And I remember at their house sitting down and watching it, and when Drake Bell here says "fuck you" to Jerry, my parents were like "ah," uh. and I remember that because I was like, "oh, he said fuck." I, I was like Jonathan Lipnicki, he said fuck, <laughs> um, and then so that was like strike one, and then we made it until. Tom Cruise going to absolute pound town on Kelly <laughs> Preston. And then my parents are like, Alex, you got to leave. So I, I remember that being my first experience of watching Jerry Maguire. Uh,
0: oh, man. So that means that you didn't quite make it. Well, I mean, no, no, you did see the first, like the intro, you know, just like the entire opening credits is Tom Cruise trying to convince us that his life is not amazing. So as as a nine-year-old, did you have trouble grasping that idea? Like, were you confused? Because I was older than you. I was in my 30s already. And (laughs) I I was like, I don't get it. What is he so bummed about? He looks great. He seems to have an awesome job. He obviously has money. He has a hot girlfriend slash fiancé. I mean, what's the big deal? Why is he having a meltdown in the middle of the night? Honestly, I just watched it tonight and i was still having trouble buying it
1: honestly rewatching this today and having discussed at length the cameron crow movies we have on here i was like oh he only knows how to make one movie uh, it's just <laughs> this guy has got a problem and he's you know he's down on his luck and he he wants more of himself you know he's william miller and he's also whatever the fuck orlando bloom's name is <laughs> in elizabeth town that's you know he he throws a really good fastball, but it's when I'm 36 and not nine watching. I'm like, oh, this is just all he can do.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't you say though that the fastball is a little less effective when Tom Cruise is playing the fastball <laughs> to try? To Especially to that's that Tom Cruise.
1: Like that's the whole thing about like my and that's coming from 36 year old Alex. Nine-year-old. I might have still thought girls were gross. I don't remember, but... Um,
0: <laughs> what is she doing to him?
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. The, but, like, the idea of I have it so bad when I'm rich and I'm getting to have sex with Kelly Preston. I'm like, all right, fuck off.
0: Yeah stop, ever, stop <sighs> fucking me!
1: Uh, there is this, I guess, epidemic...
0: The epidemic is too dramatic, but what, I just kept thinking of Moneyball. You know, we had we had similar issues with Moneyball, where Brad Pitt is trying to play a regular guy, and yes. he's like, "No, it's Brad Pitt." And same thing here, Tom Cruise, who was I think did Mission Impossible come out in the same like the same year, same year. Yep. Yeah, he's a superstar by the time that this happens, and he's trying to tell us that he's just like a, a regular sports agent. He's the guy that they would crop out of a photo. Never.
1: <laughs> Don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, this is after A Few Good Men and uh, Born on the Fourth of July, as we mentioned, and all Top Gun. So, yeah, that's a Maverick having a tough time. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> Kurt Lazarus in Tropic Thunder here where he's, I don't know who I am. It's like, all right, <laughs> step aside, pretty boy. Let Dalno get some of the spotlight here. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll joke about it as we go through this, but I was just consistently popping louder and louder for all the people in this movie that I forgot were in it. And Julio, we've talked about that. That That is a crutch when you just super load a movie. And yeah, you can make the excuse in 1996, these guys weren't the big names that they were, but these were all somebody at that point in time, enough to be like, oh, it's that guy, that guy, Eric Stoltz. Oh, fucking Jay Moore.
0: Eric Stoltz is
1: unforgivable.
0: Eric Stoltz was already, you know, he had been in Pulp Fiction. So you can't just give him 30 seconds of screen time that, hey, here's my cigar. Bye. That's it. He doesn't show up again in the movie. It, even Donald Lowe has more scenes than than Eric Stoltz. That's just weird.
1: But then he also does the really pretentious thing of like, Bo Bridges goes uncredited. You know, oh, he yes. did it as a favor to me. It's like, all right, come on. Just quit trying to be cute. Just say that you couldn't get Jeff Bridges. There you go. We do get our meat cute with... Renee Zellweger, who plays Dorothy Boyd and Jerry Maguire in an airport. I believe that would have been in California there. It didn't look like LAX in the way I know it, which is just pandemonium. It looked like a pretty relaxed venue. And Dorothy Boyd plays a single mother as well, with Ray, her son, played by Jonathan Lipnicki, which, man, did this kid (laughs) set the world on fire with this performance?
0: Do you think it's unfair that. Just a few years later, Jake Lloyd would get rake over the coals for a similar performance.
1: Yeah, you're not even going to get me here, Julio. I can't, I can't go that far in committing. <laughs> it, n- nice try, but uh, just dangling the bait. That's right. In Jake Lloyd's defense, I think he was 12 or 13 when they did that, and that's. You're way less comfortable in your skin than you are when, you know, Jonathan Lipnicki was like six when they made this movie. Uh, well, to so be fair
0: also, Star Wars fans are a little more rabid than Cameron Crowe fans.
1: You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> now, imagining the scenario where Jonathan Lipnicki played Anakin Skywalker and it ruined his life. <laughs> My next note here just says, Jay Moore is such an asshole, and I've always thought he seems like a real dick in real life, too, so... I think he plays this role a bit too well and a bit too comfortably. Uh, In response, SMI management sends Bob sugar. That is Jay Moore, Jerry's protege to fire him. This Spurs, both men to each call all of Jerry's clients to try to convince them not to hire the services of the other. Jerry speaks to Arizona Cardinals wide receiver, Rod Tidwell. This is of course, Cuba Gooding jr. The artistic peak of his career. Arguably. He's never been disbeloved since this being one of his clients who's disgruntled with his contract. He needs a $10 million contract for his family to live on. I I think I could, with $1 million, do all right for myself.
0: <laughs> no, but he has an ant problem. He Alex. has an
1: ant problem, and he's got Aerie Spears uh, just mooching off of him. His brother, play, I think his <laughs> name's TP in this. Mm-hmm. Aerie Spears is fucking hilarious, so I forgot he was in this, and I I howled when I saw him. Hello, Jerry, brother McGuire. <laughs> At the end, he's like, you're militant, but I love you. And he just puts the (laughs) black power fist up. It's just fantastic. Um, Jerry informs him if he gets injured for the season, he will get no money from the Cardinals. Rod tests Jerry's resolve through a very long phone conversation during which Bob Sugar persuades the rest of Jerry's clients to stick with SMI. Now, Julio, one of the... I mean... (laughs) When you watch this today... December 13th of 2023 it seems like a cartoon when they do this whole show me the money thing because of how just played out to death it has become and can we even take it seriously anymore should we have ever taken it seriously to begin with
0: that that is a better question (laughs) why when you watch it now removed from the hype and actually on the other side of the the meme cycle so to speak uh it's just so dumb we're like why did America go crazy for this like it' it's like it became a catchphrase mm-hmm. going back to what I said a little bit ago watching it this time and basically where every five minutes or so we get to a, a moment that's so well known and so well uh, so worn out by pop culture, it really feels like Cameron Crowe really did write the trailer first. Yeah. You know, he put in all the all the big moments, you know, this is going to be the trailer, this is going to be the Oscar clip, and, whatever. and then he kind of wrote the story around that. And and this is, I think, the first big one. You know, I'm sure there's some that just didn't pan out, but, but <laughs> this is the first one that you're like, oh, God, that's right. Like, people were saying this for years after. I don't know if there's still anybody that says, show me the money. <laughs> but... Uh, dude
1: like all jokes aside there's people that have never seen this movie that know show me the money is that cameron crowe's most quoted line you think is that like his uh, uh
0: no i'm pretty sure you complete me
1: mm, or, or, or you
0: had me at hello mm, uh,
1: or, both from the same movie
0: oh yeah yeah this, this, he just he went all out in this one no wonder that after that you know it's just it was just like a steady slow decline because he just wasted he gave it all this one he was like the given tree by the end of by the time of the Jerry Maguire end credits role like he's just completely out of leaves yeah. that is
1: he wanted I'm a golden God to be the new show me the money it just didn't take off quite as much oh no
0: he, he can't like you know for better or for worse he kind of unlocked the the secret to capturing America's attention with this one but then he just couldn't you can't repeat the trick so that's that's uh Kubrick jr I mean that was he also Crow also unlocked the secret to making kuba Gooden Junior. I guess a, a movie star, and then he, but he didn't tell anybody else. So
1: was that his Oscar clip? Show me the money. Was that pretty his sure Oscar? it was? Yeah, pretty sure it was. Uh,
0: just like Cruises. Well, we'll talk about Cruises when, when we get to it. Um, I don't want to, we probably won't have anything else to say about Jay Moore. So I want to like <laughs> say my piece about him here. And Did a that good is Christopher the,
1: Walken impression, but th- that's about it. Not in this movie. No, no,
0: no. In this movie, the problem is that he's just not he's supposed to be the bad guy. And uh, I mean, the movie doesn't help him because he doesn't really get a whole lot of screen time. It's like he fires some crews and then he shows up a couple of times, but that's it. Uh, but they have this big scene that's set up as this confrontation at the, at the restaurant where he when he fires him. And there is, you know, we're complaining about Cruz's uh, star power keeping him from being believable as a regular guy. And Jay Moore has the opposite problem. He has no star power. And so you put him against Cruz. They're like, why isn't Cruz just devouring him here? I can't buy that Jay Moore outsmarts Tom Cruise in this, you know, Ethan Hunt. (laughs) No, that doesn't happen.
1: The other Uh, thing is, too, it's like I understand it's a cutthroat industry and whatnot, but like he seems so unlikable when Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. But anyway, Jay Moore. What a dick.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen you since we were with that stripper in Laguna Beach. You remember her name? I do. It was April. That's my job. Remember the names of skanks that you bang on the road? That's what I do. It's not about the money. I do it all for you.
1: Leaving the office, Jerry announces that he will start his own agency and asks if anyone wants to join him, to which only 26-year-old single mother Dorothy Boyd agrees. Uh, this is something Holly and I have joked about long before we ever sat in front of a microphone together. The, I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. Just flip it out. out. We used to do that in the office when we worked together at Cinemark <laughs> as managers and joke about that.
0: When you work retail, you fantasize about quitting in a big oh, yeah. manner.
1: And famously, it's um, parodied pretty hilariously in uh, Half-Baked. Jim Brewer gets fired from his job or something and does like a, a recreation of the scene. And it's pretty funny. And uh, because... Tom Cruise does not really have the erratic, body-flailing comedy down, like, say, a Brewer or a (laughs) Carey.
0: He tries. I'll give him that. He tries. Uh, This is another big moment. I mean, it's not quite show me the money, but who's coming with me was also doing the rounds.
1: And he kidnaps the fish. Flipper. Flipper. But eventually we... Get Dorothy walking out with Jerry and it's basically just a recreation of the end of the graduate where they're just standing there like, well, what do we do now? And then this uh, hearing impaired couple comes on the elevator with them, and they sign to each other. And once they leave, Dorothy knows sign language. So she tells Jerry that he said to his girlfriend, you complete me. And you wonder at this point, I wonder if that's going to come back up at some <laughs> some part of the movie.
0: Cameron Crowe planted the seed To really melt the hearts Of every member of the audience At the end we're, des- Despite what Tom Cruise says In the movie I think we are a little less of a cynical world In 96 But oh, like yeah. today you close a movie with You complete me and we just roll our
1: eyes We throw our drinks at the screen Yeah <laughs> Complete these Complete these uh, Smash cut to Cameron Crowe implementing the born cam several years before the born <laughs> cam was a thing and it's only used in these scenes that circle around this d- divorced woman's group that Bonnie Hunt hosts at the home that she lives with her sister Renee Zellweger
0: Bonnie Hunt's man-hating cult
1: Yeah, the he-man woman haters club or I guess the the antithesis of that would be this. What's is it Laurel? Is that her name? Yes. Bonnie Hunt plays the older wiser uh, protective sister of Renee Zellweger and Julio who is the gentleman that he prefers to be called child technician he's the opair. pair <laughs> uh-huh he's a he's a 90s that guy right he's uh high fidelity high fidelity that's it I was trying to remember what I know him from most uh most well and that would definitely be it. Todd Luiso. Yeah,
0: he's a little less weird in High Fidelity. She's saying a lot.
1: It feels like this character was created just to be kind of quirky and funny and get, you know, some laughs from the audience during downtime because, you know, the line, I prefer child technician. I'm an au pair. And uh, eventually the scene where he gives a cassette tape to Jerry before the he has sex with Dorothy. And he also talks about he's going to teach the kid about jazz. It's. This feels like a really cliche, trope-heavy character, but maybe it just wasn't quite yet. But even, whatever the case, 2023 watching it, it's kind of like, all right, this seems unnecessary. In
0: 2023, having been through what we've been through and hearing him talk about Miles Davis, I just kept thinking, this guy jerked off to Whiplash. I, I couldn't <laughs> get past the sight of J.K. Simmons directing uh, his band and this guy being really into it.
1: He thought Whiplash was a comedy.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: tonight, I'm going to teach Ray here about jazz.
0: <laughs> That'll put him to sleep early.
1: <laughs> Bo Bridges, as we mentioned, uh, plays the father of Jerry O'Connell, Cush, Kushlash. The NFL draft is coming up, and Jerry's going to be there because at this point, his only clients are Rod Tidwell and Cushman. Frank Cushman, Jerry O'Connell, and Jerry O'Connell's expected to go first in the draft. Bo Bridges makes it clear he wants them to go to Denver. Uh, so he's going to be the star quarterback, unlike Joe Burrow several years ago. He's going to be first out the door. So Jerry goes. He takes Rod with him on the way to the airport. We get the immortal exchange between Tom Cruise and Jonathan Lipnicki, where he <laughs> questions, did you know the human head weighs eight pounds? Which my dad has thrown at me and my sister for the near thirty years <laughs> since this movie was released. Of any time, in his opinion, we're droning on about something. He'll just go. Do you know the human head weighs eight pounds?
0: Wow, they got him. That's that's another line that's genetically engineered to penetrate pop culture, and uh, and they got your dad.
1: It worked. I'm impressed. At the airport, Jerry O'Connell, as would be in real life, is mobbed and. Everyone's running up to him asking for autographs, and Rod Tidwell standing there just kind of dejected with no one recognizing him. Uh, and two kids walk up and ask, "Are you Hootie?" Which I, I get the joke, but his name's Darius Rucker. So <laughs> I'm curious, like, if that happened because man, Hootie and the Blowfish in the mid '90s sold a ton of records. I think they sold like a hundred million records. And I'm curious if Darius Rucker was approached and asked if he was Hootie, <laughs> because I guess with, he would be Hootie, and the white dudes would be the Blowfish. So that's what I always assumed. Hoot or not, we get to the NFL draft. Uh, we get Jerry O'Connell playing the acoustic guitar, and before Kushlash Julio, I always remember Kushlash. I forgot he's playing "Something in the Way." We get Jerry <laughs> O'Connell doing an acoustic rendition of "Something in the Way" by Nirvana. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs>
0: Now, this is very different from his appearance in Can't Hardly Wait. There oh, it's a in- very
1: sobering appearance in Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, this, not here. <laughs> dude, his character in Can't Hardly Wait is when Cushman's he like had a horrendous injury his first <laughs> year's rookie year on the team and at the Broncos, and then was the third string quarterback by this third season. And that's when he shows up in Can't Hardly Wait.
0: Yeah, he's he's spent the last couple of years watching Rod tillwell star rise. <laughs> Here he's he's innocent. I mean, he's for the most part innocent. I think he looks like a like a good kid. Jerry O'Connell again is one of those characters like uh, Bob Sugar, like Jay Moore, uh, like Kelly Preston's character. They show up in the first half of the movie, and then Cameron Crowe kind of forgets about them. <laughs> Did you notice that? That there's a lot of people that just kind of fade away once the movie. Stops being about sports and becomes more of a
1: yeah, is- like Kelly Preston's his girlfriend, and then they break up and she punches him in the face, and then she just kind of is in the background from time to time for the remainder of the movie. She does do the loser L at him at one point, but yeah, he has these characters that he knows how to start, but he doesn't know how to finish them. Hideo yep. Kojima, he is not. Cameron Crowe <laughs> could not write a Metal Gear Solid <laughs> franchise
0: he can write the, the first chapter.
1: He could write the introductory chapter for every character and then not know where to take it anywhere from there.
0: He'll do the tutorial. And there then after go. that, good luck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like I like Cushman. I wish that we'd seen what else happened, what how he felt about the fact that his father betrayed Jerry Maguire.
1: With, we might add, racial motivation.
0: Yes. Okay, I wrote, Bob Bridges is a racist Texan.
1: Because what we come to learn is that Bob Sugar has stolen away Cushman, and Bo Bridges signed a contract with him. Uh, after saying that Jerry was in the lobby, uh, I think he says like with uh, with a black man or something, and he says it with real conviction and evil eyes, and the camera kind of <laughs> lingers on him. So it's like, God damn, dude!
0: Uh, you would think that this these racial undertones would pay off in some way, but. No, (laughs) this is the last, I think this is the, the last time that Rod's skin color ever comes into play in the movie.
1: We signed an hour ago. You were in the lobby with the black fella.
0: Anyway, rookie mistake from Jerry Maguire, who we are told throughout the first 30 minutes of the movie is the best of the best when it comes to agents. And yet he never made Bob Bridges sign a contract.
1: Yeah. And again, that's you know, 1996. We're coming up uh, on the release of the Iron Claw, and that was an era in wrestling. You know, and in some sports where a handshake or a man's word meant something. But 1996, Jerry has no one to blame but himself for yeah, not I getting mean, a contract signed. Yeah.
0: That's why Kelly Preston breaks up with him. Well, he yeah. breaks up with her, which is insane.
1: After an argument, Jerry breaks up with his disgruntled fiance, Avery, He then turns to Dorothy, becoming closer to her young son, Ray, starts a relationship with her. Dorothy contemplates moving to San Diego as she has a secure job offer there. However, she and Jerry then decide to get married. This is where, (laughs) upon returning home, Jerry gets real drunk, goes over to the house, makes an ass of himself. Jonathan Lipnicki gets his big scene where talking about going to the zoo and. In the most Tom Cruise, he delivers it like Ben Stiller delivering Tom Cruise lines. And he's just like, <laughs> fucking is not open, Ray. It, it, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's like if you've ever seen that Mission Impossible 2 um, short film with Ben Stiller as a stunt uh, double, it's exactly how Ben Stiller would say one of those lines. It's so funny. And then Jonathan Lipnicki, you said fuck, which is one of the heart melting moments of the movie, so I've been told.
0: I will admit, I still use that line. I
1: <laughs> it works. Whenever... They got you.
0: Yeah, it did. It's just like your dad, your dad. They got your dad with the human head and they got me with you said fuck. It's uh, it's it's particularly funny when people haven't seen Jerry
1: Maguire. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> At this point, this is before they start dating. He kind of is drunk and reads a wrong cue and tries to make a move on her and they make a pretty fantastic clarence thomas reference this was when
0: grabs her boob
1: cameron crow thought he could put his political jabs in there so god bless him i i chuckled uh <laughs> we get nude cuba gooding jr we get some pretty dramatic man ass that leads to <laughs> 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 leads to a showdown in the bathroom between rod and jerry of rod telling him what he needs and what he Wants to continue their relationship, and um, not in the Ben Stiller way, but in the like the most unadulterated Tom Cruise delivery of just fine, fine, and then kicking the wall. (laughs) And event this is also where we get help me help you, which man Cameron Crowe was just nude the entire time he was writing this screenplay. (laughs) He knew what he was creating, and he was just at full mast every time his fingers hit the keyboard. (laughs)
0: Uh, I I think this was Cruise's Oscar clip. To help me help you which that would make you know, sense makes sense it just he's he's going out i mean he is out there the entire movie there is uh especially when when jerry's spiraling which happens a lot in the movie you know he's he's just this side of jim carrey with his performance yes yeah and uh here he's <laughs> the way that he contorts his body when he's, there's so many ways that you could tackle this dialogue and Tom Cruise decided to go uh, in the most exuberant <laughs> way to deliver those lines uh, help me Rod, I, I think that I'll give him this, I don't know if this was Crow or it was Kubi Jr but somebody had the brilliant idea of having Rod make fun of the way Jerry is delivering those lines Yeah, and that kind of saves the scene for me <laughs> That after Tom Cruise puts on his Oscar clip, Kuva Gooding Jr. makes fun of his delivery. Help me! Help me! Ah!
1: We get a shot of Jerry's makeshift office, which is kind of his apartment as well, that he and Dorothy are working out of. He does have an NBA jam cabinet in there. Did you notice that, Julio?
0: No, I didn't. I was I was too distracted by the sexual tension between the two of them.
1: I had to pause it to see if it was NBA Jam or NBA Hangtime. It was a NBA Jam Extreme four-player cabinet, so God bless. How, how dare he say he's broke? And I'm not talking like an arcade one-up replica cabinet. That was like a legit one of those 500-pounders, you know, with the CRT <laughs> monitor in it. Uh, the first playing of Secret Garden comes up when, before they go on a date, Jerry and Ray share a very tender hug. So we mentioned already, though, that- oh, <laughs> it makes me mad that it's associated with this movie in such like a silly, melodramatic fashion, because it is great, because Bruce has never really written a bad song, but it's it's so good. Uh, we mentioned, though, the relationship picks up and they eventually get married. Uh, Jerry's concentration at this point, though, is all of it is on Rod, his only client who turns out to be very difficult to satisfy Over the next several months, the two direct harsh criticisms towards each other, with Rod insisting that Jerry is not trying hard enough to get him a contract, while Jerry contends that Rod is not proving himself worthy of the money for which he demands. One point of contention is that Rod is not very likable and comes across as aloof to the fans. Rod takes Jerry's advice and proves he is worthy of his contract. He is playing well and his team is winning. Jerry's marriage with Dorothy deteriorates as she notices he seems crazier about Ray than her. So they separate. So it's like literally, as soon as it started, it ends. Um, they have one fight. They do. <laughs> Which is,
0: this is not working.
1: It's to over. To the credit,
0: I, I think that we could all tell that this was not a good idea. When you are some dude's rebound, maybe you take it slow and you don't you don't say yes to the to the half ass marriage proposal that he seems to pop just because you are about to leave town.
1: Again, Bonnie Hunt is the smart one here Because one of the things He's 10 years older than her in, in this movie And, you know, Bonnie Hunt sees his shit from a mile away and, Get in the car, <laughs> yes. go away And then on their wedding night says uh, If you fuck this up, I'll kill you After, you know, toasting or cheersing a beer With uh, Jerry Also Turns,
0: out, it turns out to be an empty threat
1: did, uh, Yeah, for real How awesome would that be if the movie ends with Bonnie Hunt Just gunning down Tom Cruise in the street <laughs>
0: Just walking away from the corpse smoking gun in her hand.
1: It was a panicked proposal and it plays out that way. And also, Julio, I rolled my eyes so hard at the wedding band that plays. That's like a joke from like a uh, like a saving Silverman type movie or American Pie, where it's this composite of all these random characters we've run into throughout the course of the movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes It's the mariachi band from the Mexican restaurant It's the director from the commercial that Rod yep. was in And then Rod There's someone else in there too Oh the, uh, the au pair And then it's Rod singing And I was just like I get <laughs> What's this <going> sp- on? <laughs> That that screams of something That like a rewrite from the studio said Like this would be funny because that is such A mid to late 90s style joke
0: Can you cast Rob Schneider? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a note and you'd reference it here. Uh, my note is does he care for the kid more than he cares for for Dorothy? Uh he does, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not oh, reading too much into it. Like the, the the crowbar gives us some pretty telling like close-ups and looks and you know from everybody involved and it's like that's I know the movie makes a point of establishing that Jerry just can't be alone in that ease. And I guess it's a lot easier to deal with the companionship of a small child who is not as demanding as an adult woman who might actually want a more serious relationship. You know, like a kid is kind of like a puppy. They'll just love you unconditionally and not be that demanding. Uh, so it's, I wish, here's the thing, Alex. This movie, its fatal flaw is that it actually arrives at this really complicated, fucked up relationship. This marriage that shouldn't have happened, and then to its credit, it shows you that 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 situation deteriorates. Right? Like uh-huh. she's smart enough to figure out that she sh- they shouldn't have gotten married, and she figures out that 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 he cares for the kid. Like I mean, she, she tells him in the in their little breakup talk. She's like, "You like me? <laughs> you like my kid more? <laughs> and yeah. we shouldn't have done this." And then that's it. You know, that should have been the end of it. It doesn't mean that it has to be a completely sad ending, but this marriage shouldn't recover by the end of the movie because it was a marriage that shouldn't have happened in the first place. She was just a rebound. You know, he was he was. But Cameron Crowe is just incapable of having a bittersweet ending. He has to save it somehow. And so I think that in a way, this is the smartest moment in the movie when when their marriage starts falling apart really quickly, because it's the one that feels the most realistic
1: Yeah, it seems kind of clear that Ray fills a void in his life that Dorothy doesn't, or that he doesn't really, Dorothy, you know, he doesn't have a void where that is. And when she does kick him to the curb, he's way more emotional about saying goodbye to Ray. And that's when he turns to the fish flipper and says, (laughs) it was just a mission statement.
0: (laughs) The Oscar goes to.
1: My note says Dorothy dumps his ass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so Ray feels the void in uh, Jerry's life. Is that why Dorothy's last name is Boyd?
1: Uh, (laughs) I'm going to move on. (laughs) Kevin Crow playing 4D chess here.
0: Roll with the punches. Tomorrow's another day.
1: In an extremely appropriate bout of timing, a December Monday night football game between the Cardinals and Dallas Cowboys is played with playoff implications on the line. For those of you who've never listened to this before, Julio knows dick about professional (laughs) sports. Uh, But Julio, it is December, and especially in the AFC right now, every game for the next four weeks has heavy playoff implications. There's a lot of teams right now in that division that or that conference, I should say, that are seven and six, and just any move can make a difference. Uh, But here... The Cardinals are, if they win this, it keeps their playoff dreams alive. And man, I'm assuming this was filmed in 95 because they play the Dallas Cowboys, as I mentioned. And this was, you know, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl in 1995. And this was the, for me as a kid, this was the holy trinity, man. This was when they had Troy Aikman, Deion Sanders, and Emmitt Smith, all of which featured in this scene. Uh, Barry (laughs) Switzk. Oh, it it really bothers me that you've lived in Texas for 20 years and you don't know who Troy Aikman is like that just seems like that's like i'd be more comfortable with you not knowing who George Bush is and i mean that only in the sense that he's a former president not in the sense that he's you know a good person but like you should absolutely know who Troy Aikman is that's why you don't like king of the hill you don't get any of the references in that show i could spot
0: the the actual football players because they were really bad actors. So I was like, oh, if, if if there's somebody that has a couple lines and they're badly delivered, then that's probably because they're not actors to begin with.
1: So Troy's great. That's why is the commentator on Monday Night Football today. Better no fuck up on Monday Night Football. Aries <laughs> Spears, yeah. Uh but this this was like an immediate flashback to my childhood. Not this movie, but seeing Troy, Emmett, and Dion all in the field. And but somehow the timing of this movie feels like a universe away. Like, I think of, like, 94, 95, and 96. Like, I think of the separation between 1995 and 1996. Like, there's a bigger separation to me there than there has been the past decade. (laughs) Like, uh, just the way I view it. So, kind of, like, worlds colliding in my head, at least. Uh, Rod plays well, but appears to receive a serious injury when catching a winning touchdown, securing a spot in the playoffs. He recovers and dances wildly for the cheering team. Uh, This scene... First of all, whoever the stunt double was really did take a hell of a bump. Uh, this is going to bleed into a little bit of real talk here. This scene is obviously great for what it is, but watching this for the first time since the Damar Hamlin thing last season, it felt different because that's obviously I remember when Demar went down and that unfolded the way it did. I kept thinking, man, I really hope he does like Rod Tidwell here and gets up and Uh, just kind of dances around. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, DeMar, thankfully, made a full recovery, but that night was pretty fucking scary watching that. So watching this again, and it's only because it's the first time I've watched it since then. uh, But I I could see that anyone watching this movie for the first time now, that being an immediate thing they think of. Uh, Hilariously, Ari Spears, uh, TP, his brother, just talking shit about him while his fate is unknown saying, you know, I told him he's too small for the NFL. Uh,
0: we haven't mentioned Regina King at all on the, during Contreras Corner, which I think is kind of a damning statement on her character an indictment, indictment, indictment of how, how little she matters in the big scheme of the movie. But somehow she still gets an Oscar clip here where mm-hmm. she, she gets on the phone with, uh, with jerry and she just breaks down and i get it that you know that's what gets you awards and recognition but it felt like a betrayal of her character who had been so strong and so no nonsense in her few scenes right every time she showed up she was the one that was telling jerry and dorothy and anybody else like what's what just Mm -hmm. a few minutes before before she has the phone call she's ready to kick uh, roth's Brother's ass for being Mm -hmm. an asshole, Uh, and then she just falls to pieces. and I'm like, Come on, you you could have, she didn't have to go that far. In the you know what I mean, like, I believe that they love each other. I saw them making out at that restaurant. (laughs) You don't have to sell me on how important this man is for her. It, it, you know, she can take the, the phone call, and I think it would be more interesting if she takes the news. And we see her look at her kid and, and her family and be like, okay, I need to be, even though I am falling apart inside, I'm keeping it together because I am surrounded by all these people that are counting on me. Like That would have been amazing. And I know Regina King can pull it off because she's amazing. But no, they went for the easy, <laughs> the easy emotional button. No, no, let's just have her cry. She's just going to cry and, and just be completely ineffectual for the rest of the movie. My, My whole life is this, like this
1: family, Jerry, and it does head no head work without him. On the neck, and right now, in a hilarious moment when he gets up and starts dancing, it cuts to a shot of Barry Switzer on the sideline, and he looks like disappointed that he got up. He's like, "Fuck, we're actually gonna lose this game." <laughs>
0: uh, do you feel like this is that the movie does raw, dirty by having him dance like he had? said he wouldn't like I felt that he had he was drawing a a pretty sensible line like I understand he had a chip on his shoulder and all these issues that he had but as far as him telling Jerry look I'm not just gonna dance so that they pay me more money I'm a football player I'm not I'm not a clown and then he gets up here and he starts clowning around I was like come on
1: and then impossibly the funniest line of the movie that you had, kind of have to be paying attention to here Al Michaels goes well they're definitely gonna get a flag on this <laughs>
0: I heard that. <laughs> that guy has his priorities straight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is true. That would He probably would get ejected for uh, that much unsportsmanlike conduct. Anyway, <laughs> this talking to Regina King, Marcy in the movie, and seeing the situation with Rod, and afterwards embracing Rod in, in the tunnel with uh, all the media surrounding them makes Jerry realize what's important. So he, by the looks of things, runs from Arizona <laughs> to California <laughs> and interrupts the disgruntled women of the round table meeting at uh, Bonnie Hunt's house. <laughs> and this is where he confesses his love to Renee Zellweger to Dorothy and ends with the you complete me and Julio, what does she retort with? Because it's been quoted by everyone since it's- this.
0: So is it more popular? Which one? Or, or are they just kind of like a pair? They come together. You complete me and you had me at hello. Are they just... Uh,
1: I forgot they follow up with each other. That's like, goddamn, pal.
0: <laughs> Crowbar, he's like, I- I'm almost done. I-, I-, I need just one more moment. Uh, he was so excited about his dialogue that he completely fucked up his blocking. I am pretty sure. <laughs> I am pretty sure that Tom Cruise is signing... When he says, you complete me. But you can't really tell because it's the closest up my God. Did you did you notice that?
1: No, that's wild. It's like it completely blows <laughs> a big callback
0: to to the fact that, you know, she taught him how to sign it. Like that's that's yes, it's nice that he says that he brings it back with the words, but to get the full effect, you should have seen him sign. And it's just no, Crows just forgot to do the medium shots. He, he got stuck with the close-up. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it was his third movie. You know, <laughs> he was not the the master filmmaker that he was when he made Aloha later. Now, I, I also Alex, I this kind of annoyed me, not just because, as I said, to me the the a braver story, a braver storyteller, a better movie would not have this vanilla happy ending where they somehow get back together and whatever. You know, they should have... He should have called her from just the stadium and said, hey, this happened, or turn the TV on, whatever, and be like, thank you, I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. And that's it, that's the end of the movie. You know, they don't need to... That marriage was not meant to be. But also, it kind of defeats the purpose of the story if he comes back to fix his marriage after he's successful right like this should have happened when he was still down in the dumps that's how you know that they can, they're going to make it right he but when he comes back he already knows that Rod has gotten a, a really good deal that Rod survived the season and you know the the age of the the guy that the manager has already told him hey yeah i'm going to pay and Jerry is on the upswing so of course now it's easy to just come back and commit to life with Reneta Wegger and her sister and all the angry women there <laughs> and the kid it's it's just too much, you know, or rather it's not enough. I, it doesn't make me believe that this couple is going to go the distance. Instead, it makes me think, well, next time things get rough, Jerry's going to flake out again. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's me watching the movie. All the, the women from the the Angry Women Club, they just love it. They're lapping
1: it up. Dude, that is, that is the thing of like it betrays them more than anybody. These like <laughs> women that we've intermittently seen talking about the importance of being strong and not needing men and they see this uh display of affection from Jerry Maguire and they're just like oh god i need a man <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're all correct you know men are the enemy thank you no they're not the enemy but 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 i still love the enemy Rod appears on Roy Firestone Sports Show. Unbeknownst to him, Jerry has secured him an $11.2 million contract with the Cardinals, allowing him to finish his pro football career in Arizona. The emotional Rod proceeds to thank everyone and extends warm gratitude to Jerry. Jerry speaks with several other pro athletes. Troy Aikman has a speaking part here. Uh, some of whom have read his earlier mission statement, and respect his work with Rod. The film concludes with Ray throwing a baseball in the air, which surprises Jerry. He then speaks of Ray's possible future sports industry career with Dorothy. And he also is wearing some tight jeans here. And man, (laughs) Tom Cruise's (laughs) butt was just popping.
0: (laughs) We got Cuba ass earlier here. This is the closest, I guess, we were going to get to Cruise ass. Uh, We close with Dylan, Alex, which I didn't remember. Did you remember that, that Bob Dylan takes us out?
1: Shelter from the Storm? You know what I think of when I hear that song? jerry mcguire i mean i love bob dylan but uh chris martin played that song on saturday night live do you remember when they did that really weird covid snl where everyone was like at their homes or apartments and just like mm-hmm. sent in their parts you know what i'm talking about
0: yeah hosted by tom hanks
1: yes sir and uh who was originally thought for the role of uh, Jerry Maguire so this all comes full circle but um, Cameron Crowe originally wrote the screenplay for Tom Hanks but he took so long to write the screenplay by the time he was ready to make the film Hanks was too old to play the part oh they should have had Tom Hanks play uh, Dickie Fox Woody Harrelson turned down the role well how'd that turn Dude, out <laughs> that would be good Dicky Fox for Tom Hanks but anyway on that SNL episode uh, Chris Martin lead singer of Coldplay, sent in uh, him at his home studio performing shelter from the storm. and I it it definitely I've listened to it since and it didn't have the same power it did the first time, but it was just it was so right for the moment and I remember really enjoying that. but I mean, Bob Dylan's the fucking man. so it's a fitting ending. We didn't yet know and honestly, it'd only be two movies after this with almost famous in Elizabethtown. This being the crowbar's big breakout one, we didn't know quite yet how almost to a point of a handicap level of reliance he has on his soundtracks. So, <laughs> yeah, you could have left the theater with a little bit of optimism here. We didn't mention the Free Fallen scene earlier where yep. Tom Cruise is me driving through traffic in Austin, just <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs.
0: Well, searching for the right song first.
1: Exactly, exactly but uh, that was jerry Maguire. only one of the players involved went on to win an academy award shockingly only two people were nominated for acting performances
0: don't get me started that's <laughs> we have much to talk about during real talk
1: well let's go ahead and move the party on to real talk it's time to complete jerry Maguire, julio word was spoke between us, there was no risk involved. Nothing up to that point had even been resolved. Try imagining a place where it's always safe and warm. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm.